Hey everybody, uh, just a quick note today. I wanted to say thank you to all the fans who reached out and told us what they thought of the Harry and the Hendersons episode. It sounds like you guys liked it, so we're probably going to end up doing more of them. Uh, we've also got some great suggestions. A uh, fellow Cryptid podcast reached out and asked to have me on, so I'm going to be doing that soon, and I'll have more information as that becomes available. But I just wanted to say thank you again for the support. It really means a lot right now. I hope you're all staying safe, and I hope you enjoyed this amazing interview with Benjamin Radford. He lives... Probably the real-life version of Scooby-Doo and is just a fascinating individual. I had so much fun recording this. Today, God, this is our... It's our sixth or seventh episode of this season. I can't really remember. It's Time is a flat circle. Uh, but I've got Benjamin Radford on. He's an American writer and skeptic who's contributed to over 20 books, written a thousand articles across a multitude of topics. You're also one of the heroes that contributes to Snopes so that we can all look a little less stupid when we find theories on the internet. And uh, today we're here to talk about your work on cryptids. Yes. Uh, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. This is, this is fun. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think actually one of your books is incorporated in a course at my alma mater, uh, Western Washington University. Uh, they have a course on critical thinking, and I believe they include one of your books in it. So I thought that was oh yeah. Now, now that you mention it, I do remember a couple of years back, I I, I was uh, corresponding with a professor there uh, who was using some of my stuff, and he asked for permission. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's part of what I do. Why I do what I do is, you know, I'm I'm trying to. Uh, hopefully educate and entertain people and it's and that's sort of one of the one of the reasons that I do these investigations and we could talk about that a little bit later but I mean you know I mean I I love investigating cryptids and monsters and weird things um, because I mean let's face it they're fascinating right they're they're weird strange things that are you know if they're real then there's you know there's things to be learned from it scientifically this and that but at the same time uh, I try to bring uh, you know a science-based empirical uh, perspective to it and so it's not just like oh these things you know i'm hearing stories they must be true it's like well this is cool this is interesting let's use science to see if they really are true yeah i think you know it's funny that's kind of the point of this this podcast although we're not necessarily scientists but we are just trying to like we just want to hear people's perspectives and hear why they think things are real and why they aren't but i'd say that we're all definitely skeptics at heart here there you uh, go before we get into your work i i like to play a game with our guests uh called truth or cryptid where I uh, read you three creatures and you tell me if it's something that's real or if it's something that's fake. Uh, interested? Uh, sure, why not? Now, now, by real, do you mean do I believe it's real or, do, or whether it's actually a thing that people talk about as being real? It is a, it is a real creature that exists on this planet and is okay. scientifically proven to exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want to parse that out first. Yep. Okay, so first off, uh, this creature hails from the rivers of Australia. It resembles a seal, but with saber-like teeth. The beast waits in the water for animals to come and drink and has attacked both humans and livestock alike. It is said to be a cousin of the hippopotamus, and it's called the bunyip. The bunyip. Well, um, uh, I have heard of the bunyip, so oh. I will say that is true <laughs> insofar as it is said to be around, along with the drop bears, of course, and the yowie. Yep, so it is It is a cryptid. Uh but yeah, yeah, it is like just like a drop bear. Now let's see the next one. Hognosed rats, another creature with large teeth. This rat hides in the jungles of Indonesia, described as a rodent with the face of a hog and fangs. But even though it looks threatening, it's actually harmless. 
Hmm. You know, I'm I'm flashing back to a, a, a meme I saw a couple weeks back of uh, a, a little a little bat uh, that's about the size of your finger, and it's uh, it's this very threatening thing until you realize its size. So it's like you know, I am the darkness, and it's like, but I want to cuddle. So there's this adorable like I'm still the darkness, but I will cuddle you. Um, that's what I'm imagining this thing is. Uh, uh, does it have a name? Yeah, just the hog-nosed rat. That's its name. Just the hog it is. It could not be simpler. Um, I'm I'm gonna say that's uh, that's bogus. That's actually real. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was looking at that one and man, it is a it is a strange little critter. Uh, I'll throw a picture on our Instagram later because it's it's kind of like it's cute in an ugly way. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then this last one uh, is honestly fucking terrifying, and it's interesting. So we've talked about the I talk I I play this with my co-host whenever we record too. And last week I did the Groot slang, uh-huh. which is a, a another South African. You know that's a myth. So this one is also potentially a myth from South Africa. It's called the boom slang. This serpent is primarily found in South Africa. And like the other two creatures on the list, it possesses large fangs. I'm going with the theme today. Unlike other snakes, this particular beauty is possessed of near human level eyesight and has been known to pick birds straight out of the sky. Humans who run across this creature are told to cross their arms so at least they leave a beautiful corpse. The venom is that powerful. Huh. All right. Um, Great name, though, the boom slang. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, it deserves points if for, if for no other reason that it was colorfully named. Um, I, I guess I'll have to go with, uh, with, uh, with, with the, with the uh, real thing. Yeah, that's a, that is a real snake. I was actually, so the, the part about crossing their arms, uh, I, at one point I did go to South Africa on safari and that is literally what they told me to do. They said, if you run across a boom slang, just cross your arms and back away. Cause if it bites you, you're not getting to where the antivenom is. Okay. <laughs> and I were was you, like, cool. Were you, were you in Kruger? Where were you? Um, so KwaZulu-Natal. Okay. Yeah. Actually, yeah. There was actually a story about KwaZulu-Natal, uh, like a few weeks back, I think they just caught some poachers there. But yeah, that was, that was a wild, uh, wild place to be. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've done a, a safari in, in Kruger, and it was just, it just amazing. So it's, uh, but yeah, just weird, you know, just, just the, the 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 local animals and just weird things that that you wouldn't necessarily hear about if if you're not in the region or you're not you know potentially being exposed to it. Yeah, right. Um, I remember I, I was I was in uh, I was in the Amazon uh, in uh, in Ecuador uh, a couple years back and in uh, I was tromping through the jungle with a guide and and they they'd warned about the fertilance uh, snake and I I'd, I'd heard of the fertilance and all this and that but you know super poisonous and this and that uh, and and uh, the the uh, I because when you're hiking through the jungle they usually give you sort of basic jungle boots. You know, not yeah. just super cheap, you know, nothing high tech, just rubber boots to, to tromp through. And on the one day that I chose to wear sandals was when I had uh, a parent and I found this out shortly after we got back. Someone took a photo uh, of, of my my sandaled foot about about eight inches from a, a baby fertilance that fortunately didn't notice me. But he's like, yeah, I didn't want to tell you at the time because you would have freaked out. But you were right next to this thing. And, and of course you're out in the middle of nowhere. So if I'd gotten bitten, it's just like, well, you know, we're, we're eight hours from help. So good luck. Yeah. Geez. That is, that's terrible. I feel like that's a lot of my experience with deadly creatures is people taking pictures and then showing me after the fact <laughs> I've had that happen with a shark as well, where I was diving and they took a picture of the shark behind me. I still never seen a shark when I'm in the water, 
Uh-huh. <laughs> but apparently I've been next one. So Well, I get better better to find out later than, you know, at the time when you're missing missing a limb. Yeah, you know? Fair enough. So you've self-categorized as a science-based paranormal investigator. And I'm curious, what, what does that exactly entail? Well, uh, th- th- there's a couple approaches that I take. Um, you know, I don't shy away from, uh, you know, in- investigator or paranormal, things like that. I, you know, part of the problem is that, unfortunately, with the proliferation of, of um, you know, Bigfoot shows and ghost TV shows and ghost adventures this and that, is that when people when people hear others described as paranormal investigators, um, they understandably are like, oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Like, so, but all, all that really means is that you're investigating allegedly paranormal phenomena. Uh, and of course you can do that from any number of perspectives. Unfortunately, usually it's from a, a less than scientific perspective. Um, but it's certainly true that, you know, the, the, the topics that I investigate are, allegedly paranormal. I mean, crop circles, ghosts, uh, psychic powers, um, you know, t- take your pick. So, you know, I, I, one of my, uh, one of my approaches is, uh, is multidisciplinary. So, you know, I, I approach, uh, mysteries, number one, as a mystery to be solved. Um, that's, that's my main goal is to, is to take a mystery and to try and to the best of my ability, explain and understand it. Um, not necessarily to promote it as a mystery, not necessarily mystery mongering. Hey, everybody, this is the weirdest damn thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's no explanation. Isn't this crazy? Uh, which is unfortunately a lot of what's, what's out there. Uh, and, and uh, you know, again, I, it's, I, I love the mysteries. They're interesting. They're fascinating. But again, in my approach, the goal, my goal is to understand it and if possible to explain it, not just to, not just to sort of, you know, sensationalize it and and promote it as something that is you know unknowable and and unknown um so that's that's the approach that i take and so it, part of it is because you know, the things that we've learned about the world uh whether it's how to build bridges or how to create vaccines or how to uh, buildings i mean just you know basically all the all the really great uh, advancements in 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 human uh, human culture and technology have been uh, have been because of science, right? That's science is how we learn about the world. That's how we learn that you know this this food is nutritious, this food is poisonous, uh, this this works, this doesn't, this vaccine, what so you know on and on. Yeah. And so uh, so because of that, uh, I try to take that template, take that scientific process, and apply that to so-called mysterious or paranormal uh, unexplained phenomena. And when you do that, oftentimes you can indeed find uh, explanations, even when, uh, again, the, the mystery-mongering TV shows and all the other things are talking about how, well, scientists are baffled. No one can ever explain this. I'm like, um, I, have you read this? <laughs> because I think it's there. And so, so there's that. And then I also bring um, – uh, you know, some journalism, having a background in journalism and, and writing, and also folklore. Uh, that's, another, that's another important part of what I do. I have, I'm, a member of the American, <clears throat> I'm a member of the American Folklore Society, and I've researched uh, contemporary legends, urban legends. And a lot of times in the topics that I investigate, whether it's the chupacabra or ghost, ghost legend of routes, um, there's a strong cultural component to them. Right there, these these mysteries don't occur in a vacuum. There, there's a there's a social and cultural context that often uh, informs the investigation and can help explain it. Right, I think so. You know, one of the people I've interviewed before is Brian Regal, 
and yes. and you know his his cultural explanation of where the Jersey Devil come from came from I think is is pretty much a perfect example of what you're talking about where it's yeah. just, you can trace these things back to source events or you know feuds between people that end up spawning something that's larger than life and it is very much so a business now like if if you look at I think my favorite example is the Megalodon Discovery Channel special where yeah. they need they needed to fill two hours right. uh, and they they built it up as this whole thing They're like well you know we think it's out there still and it's like well come on guys <laughs> right or or of course uh, the other infamous example is the uh, the uh, the uh, mermaids bo- the body found right the the yep. Discovery Channel series alleging that they'd found mermaids and uh, re- resurrecting the the aquatic ape theory that like no one takes seriously but like well hey let's dig it up there. Yeah, it's amazing that those channels, like History Channel, Discovery Channel, and all those, that they they air a lot of that crap. Like it is everywhere. <laughs> it is, and yeah, and it gets recycled, and it's and you know on, on on some levels, it's it's understandable. I mean, you know, they're they're trying to fill time. It's a series, and you know, it you know this is this is 2020, and and I'm I'm still continually amazed uh, when I hear someone uh, either you know chat with me in person or on, on, on social media or else. And they're like, well, I know this is true. I saw it on TV. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I, okay. Um, I'm just trying to process that. So you saw something on TV and therefore it's true. And, and then other times, of course, it, my, 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 my favorite pet peeve is when, when someone will, will come up to me and, and challenge me on something that I've, I've written about and researched about, or maybe even written a book about. And, and they'll ask me a question and I'll answer it and they'll be like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, okay, well, why do you think I'm wrong? I mean, did you, did you research this? I mean, are, you, are there experts you're quoting? He's like, no, last night I saw a half hour TV show and they said something different. I'm like, wow. okay, well, you're, you're speaking to me and I, I can, I, <laughs> I've written books and articles about it and I can show you my references and I'm wrong because you saw a TV show that says something different. Okay. All right. Yeah, TV, the ultimate, the ultimate source these days. <laughs> right, right. Gosh. Now, it's funny, thinking of all this and like the, the shows that are around, I, I don't know if this is true. So this is from your, your bio on Wikipedia, which is, of course, an illustrious website. It said that one of your first sources of interest was Ripley's Believe It or Not. Is that true? Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I was growing up uh, as a teenager, I was fascinated by these mysteries as we all are. I mean, again, these are, these are weird, strange oddities. I mean, who doesn't love this sort of thing? Um, and, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and I would read the, the columns. And, uh, and, of course, with Ripley's, I mean, the, 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 the whole catch is uh, strange but true. I mean, that, that's the, believe it or not, this is true. It's not believe it or not, this is false, right? So yeah. the, 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 the premise is strange thing that even though you might think is, isn't true or implausible in fact is. And so I, I would, I would, you know, I would read those columns uh, in, in the paper and I would watch uh, TV shows and I would buy books. And uh, I was a pretty voracious reader as a teenager and I would get my allowance money and go to the local bookstore and plunk down five or 10 bucks uh, and, and buy a bunch of books and read during the summer times. And a lot of it was uh, books on mysteries. Uh, and this was during during the, the, the uh, 80s. 
Um, and I would buy, and a lot of the books I was reading were written in the 50s, sort of like, you know, you know, Strange But True, Frank Edwards, you know, Mystery is the Unknown, the Time Life series. And I'd be flipping through these, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. This is weird. You know, I'm like, I'm reading all these amazing, fascinating stories of, you know, firsthand accounts of Bigfoot and Nessie and UFO abductions and, and prophecy and just you know, you know, psychic spies and reading all these, these really dramatic things. And, and I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. And then after a while, I was like, hold on here. It's like, I'm not seeing any actual research. I'm seeing lots of, you know, they say stories and I'm seeing lots of, you know, it is said that and I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing all this really slickly packaged as unexplained, mysterious, unknowable things, but there was a, a conspicuous lack of actual investigation. Right. I mean, someone's like, oh, well, you know, it is said that, you know, in 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 1890s London, uh, you know, a, a group of children uh, disappeared uh, near the near the sewers and ne- were never seen again. I'm like, wow, that's weird. What were their names? Where did they live? Were there any eyewitnesses? Would did where they were found? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I give me more information rather than just sort of this headline sensationalism, because oftentimes when you look into it, you're like, hold on, this is this, this story falls apart under closer examination. So, uh, so as even as a kid, again, I began with this this sort of natural fascination with all these bizarre things, um, which I I still have. But as I grew older, I'm like, well, yeah, but I, I will show me, show me your homework, show me the research, show me, give me, give me references, give me citations. Don't, don't, don't ask me just to believe whatever you're writing. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, it's interesting too. Some of my first interest in these topics, uh, it came from the Ripley's Believe It or Not museums, you know, museums, quote unquote, but there was like a really crappy one out on the Oregon coast. And I think that was the first introduction I ever had to Bigfoot or anything mm-hmm. like that. And you do, you just see a lot of these like little there. It's like, what, a one paragraph plaque. Right. And, and it just says like, you know, at the end it says, believe it or not. And that's kind of it. And there are some of these things that are true where it's like, they'll have an exhibit on gosh, like a, the bombing of Hiroshima or like something like that. And just like silhouettes that the bomb left that are true. And then they'll have right. it right next to a statue of Bigfoot. Right. Right. No, you're exactly right. And it's that sort of, that sort of intentional, uh, probably intentional sort of conflation, right? It's, it's this, it, it gives the whole thing more credibility because they're, they're tossing in things that are, that are obviously true and important along with things that are frankly, entirely dubious and sketchy and it's all lumped together. Like, well, there you go. And, you know, I mean, I, from a, from a, you know, if I was displaying, uh, you know, uh, all these sorts of curiosities, I can see why you would want to do that. Um, But as, as investigator, as somebody who really cares about, well, you know, yeah, this is all well and good, but you know, is this true or not? And, and I think especially these days, um, it's it's more important than ever to draw a clearer line between what's true and what's not. And this applies to critical thinking. It applies to political claims. It, it applies to, you know, misinformation about uh, COVID-19 diseases and, and all sorts of different things. And so, again, I, I don't mean to be the spoil sport saying, you know, you know, everybody needs to be very clear that this is not true. All I'm saying is that, that the approach I, I would I would hope would be to for people to draw a clearer distinction in their own minds 
okay, well, this is, this is true and important and in, important to, to, to recognize. And this is more, more, you know, this is sketchier and this is maybe, you know, less valid information and not just lump it all together. Um, because in some cases, these, these beliefs have real consequences, right? I mean, if, if somebody wants to believe that, uh, that there's alien, there's an alien base on the moon, or if people want to believe that there's Bigfoot running around in the Pacific Northwest, uh, eating deer and mating and doing whatever else, that's fine. I, I don't care. I mean, that's knock yourself out. If, if that's what you want to believe, I'm not going to spend my time trying to tell you that you're wrong. I don't care. At the same time, these beliefs can have consequences, um, you know, ranging from you know, if it's alternative medicine, people are taking unproven therapies. Uh, if it's if people believe in conspiracy theories, there have been cases where people have been threatened and killed because of conspiracy theories uh, and rumors and things like that. And so, and even in the case of Bigfoot, I mean, I've known people, I've interviewed people who have spent uh, years of their lives and and tens of thousands of dollars looking for creatures and monsters that all the scientific evidence suggests are simply not there. And if they want to do it, that's fine. It's their money, it's their time, it's their life, whatever else. But at some point, you know, you're like, wow, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're putting all this time and effort and all these man hours of time you could be spending with your family or other things being poured into these really flimsy sightings. And, and it just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Like you said, there's, I think there's a varying degree of like what kind of harm some of these things can do where I, on the top of the spectrum, in my opinion, is I think that a lot of UFO style claims tend to go hand in hand with dangerous conspiracy theories about the government. Yeah. Uh, like I interviewed the director of the mutual UFO network and I kind of left that with like, you might be a dangerous person because he's, he was very personable, but he was also like citing Tucker Carlson as his main ally. And, and I was just like, okay. Yeah. Part of that is uh, cause I've dealt with these people for, you know, 10, 10, 15 years now. Part of it is that, in in my experience, the the UFO people are especially vitriolic, um, and and the, along with the conspiracy people, and because UFOs and conspiracies are all sort of blended together, partly because the, the in their minds, and and as you know from talking to these people as well, the reason that that they they can't get the the hard evidence of alien bodies, or UFOs, or else is because somebody the government or the government, depending on who you're talking to, uh, are, are keeping it from them, right? It's, they believe it's a conspiracy to hide and to, to distract and this, all those sorts of things. And when you have that approach, when you have that mindset, when, when your belief system is premised on other people lying to you, intentionally deceiving you or being sheeple, right? Uh, then that, that creates a very toxic uh, worldview, right? Because in, in, in a lot of these people's minds, whether it's, you know, again, 9-11, conspiracy, uh, Sandy Hook, uh, all these other things, is that, is that they have this really fearful, uh, fear-based uh, worldview in which, in which they're, you know, the government, the people in power are against them and trying to hurt them and harm them and keep important information from them. And then uh, when there's when there's uh, people who are try- just trying to put out valid information, like skeptics such as myself, we're accused of being you know shills and sheeple and whatever else. And so in their minds, you either agree with them, or you're a liar, or you're stupid. And I don't 
I don't subscribe to that, right? I, I deal with people all the time who may not agree with me and may not agree with my, my opinions and investigations on uh, ghosts and research and, and, and chupacabra of rounds. And when I'm in a discussion with somebody and, and if they disagree with something I'm saying, I don't assume they're stupid. I don't assume they're lying and deceitful. I assume that maybe we, we just have different difference of opinion. Maybe we just have different sorts of information. So I, I, don't, I don't begin with this inherently confrontational um, worldview that everybody who doesn't agree with me is, is, is stupid or lying. I think that that's, you know, the us versus them mentality can be very detrimental and it's just a, it's a bad place to start a conversation for sure. Exactly. So talking about these, you know, kind of UFO theories and that, that side of your investigation, I think that that ties pretty well into the Chupacabra. So I'm curious, what, what first brought you to that myth? Well, the Chupacabra, um, <laughs> it's just such a weird animal, right? It's just, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it's just, and it's, that's, so there's a couple of things that, that drew me to the Chupacabra. The first one is that it's, um, it's just so weird. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I'd researched uh, Bigfoot. I, I did a, I did a book with Joe Nickel on uh, Lake Monsters titled Lake Monster Mysteries. Um, and we investigated Lake Monsters around the world. Um, and so I'd always had this, this interest in, in, in cryptids and, and those sorts of monsters and stuff. Um, and, uh, but the Chupacabra was a relatively recent addition to that. Uh, and as, as we can get into a little bit later, I mean, it basically appeared first in 1995. So this is actually the 25th anniversary, the 25th birthday of the Chupacabra, oddly enough, <laughs> um, in August. And, um, and so there are a couple of things that really made the Chupacabra jump out at me, not literally, but figuratively, <laughs> as something that was worth my interest and time investigating. One of them was that um, unlike Nessie and Bigfoot and Mothman and the Lizard Man, what have you, it's a vampire, right? The Chupacabra is inherently a vampire. Chupacabra is, Chupacabra means goat sucker in Spanish. Uh, and so part of its characteristics is it's said to suck the blood out of goats and chickens and cattle and, and cats and things like that. And that intrigued me because I, I'd, again, going back to my, my interest in, in background and folklore, I'd researched, you know, vampire stories and legends uh, in, in, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, and it was, it was intriguing to me that, that there was this really sort of unique, strange version of this vampire that emerged in, in Puerto Rico in 1995 and was said to be attacking sheep and animals and things like that. But more, more specifically, more sort of empirically, if, if, if a, if a creature is a vampire, then that means it preys on other, other creatures, uh, other animals, specifically with blood. And if that's true, if that premise is true, then we should be able to find those animals that, that it, it's preying upon and get evidence from them, right? If, you, if it's Bigfoot, I mean, Bigfoot is named after the footprints, at least, right? <laughs> Big yep. footprints. In the case of the Chupacabra, that too is named after what leaves behind, which is dead animals, uh, allegedly, you know, exsanguinated, you know, bloodless animals. And so that intrigued me. I'm like, well, hold on here. Let, let's, let's take this seriously. If this, if these creatures are real and, and as with Bigfoot, there can't just be one chupacabra. Right? <laughs> there has to be a breeding population. There has to be more than one, blah, blah, blah. So there we're talking thousands, maybe tens of thousands of chupacabras uh, around the world, primarily in, in Latin America and Spanish speaking areas that w would have to be, 
attacking animals on a regular basis to eat, and there should be carcasses everywhere, and we should be able to examine those carcasses, those, those bloodless goats and chickens and cats and things like that, and find evidence of the chupacabra. Uh, so, so again, part of the reason that, that it attracted me to this mystery was that, in theory, there should be clear, hard evidence of these things. Um, and the other thing that intrigued me, and this sort of became more apparent to me as, as, the, as my investigation came on, is the chupacabra is the only, is the only cryptid, uh, certainly well, the only well-known one, that has changed form dramatically. Um, you know, Bigfoot has always more or less been Bigfoot, right? There's, there's different versions of it. There's, there's the, the, the Yowie in, in, in Australia. There's the, the Yeti. There's uh, Sasquatch in, in Canada. But we're all, the Alamos, we're all talking, you know, large, hairy, man-like, bipedal creatures. The, there's not a lot of variation, right? No one's, no one's reporting it had three arms and was 20 feet tall, right? They're all... They're all more or less. And same thing with, with, with uh, for example, Nessie, uh, Loch Ness Monster in, in Scotland, right? So we're talking something that has a, a sort of a sauropod neck, uh, long arching neck, and, and the, that, that description then gets uh, sort of exported to Champ in Lake Champlain, which I've also written about, etc. So in these cases, you have a more or less fixed morphology, right? We, we're, we're talking about the same thing over the course of, of decades. In the case of Chupacabra, again, which only goes back to 95, we've seen at least three, three distinct versions of Chupacabra. Um, and I can get into, get into that more later, but basically the, the, the two best-known ones are the original Chupacabra, which was this spiky-backed, bipedal, man-human-like creature that had these wraparound eyes, sort of alien, alien-human hybrid. Uh, which was first reported in again in '95 and was talked about for a few years, and then we have the second version of the chupacabra, which is the canid version. Right? These are dogs and coyotes and foxes. So these are they look like a hairless dog basically, and and they have different characteristics as well. But again, the those two are are polar opposites, right? The <laughs> the original chupacabra with the spikes on its back and huge wraparound eyes, either red or gray or black or what have you, with long human-like fingers, uh, is nothing like the, the later kind that emerged. And even later, of course, we had uh, just the word chupacabra has been genericized into any dead animal that somebody finds that someone can't figure out what the hell it is, they're calling it chupacabra. And then the last, the last thing that drew me to, to, uh, to, to the, the mystery was uh, it's local. Um, we've, I live in New Mexico in the Southwest and, uh, there's been Chupacabra reports, uh, about five miles from my house. Um, and I, I speak Spanish, not fluent Spanish, but pretty good Spanish. And so that sort of opened a door for me to, uh, to, go, you know, go to Central America, go to Puerto Rico and talk to eyewitnesses and, uh, and dig into it. Yeah. I, and, you know, I've read, uh, so we, we just did an episode on the Chupacabra that was one episode ago and, uh, we, we read a lot of the research that you did on it to help inform our opinions. And I think that one of the most interesting things that you pointed out is the, the timing of the first sighting with the movie species. Yeah. And you know, that's funny cause that's, that came up with Lovell and Frogman too, where the, the timing of that sighting was with creature of the black lagoon. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a facet. Yeah, and yeah, I remember. I think Dan Loxon did some stuff on that, and uh, yeah, it was. I think I briefly mentioned that in my in my Chupacabra book. But yeah, it's it again. It, it goes back to what you were saying before uh, about the the cultural context, right? These 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 mysteries don't occur in a vacuum. There are there are social and cultural things that that lead to them, and that's a perfect example. Yeah. So, what first drew you to this uh, particular gem of '90s cinema? Uh, how did you how did you make that connection between that and the first sightings well um that's actually a really good question so i i spent about five years researching the chupacabra uh culminating in my uh, 2010 book tracking chupacabra uh which you just mentioned and in the course of investigating it i was trying to do my best to definitively solve it right i i when i when i tackle a mystery i'm going to try to to track down every lead I can and to, I want to solve the mystery. I, I don't want to just be one of a dozen people that offered a theory. I want to be one of a handful of people that offered a really strong theory. And ideally I want to be the person that, that spent the time and the effort and put it all together and said, there you go. Any questions, let me know. Right. And so in the process of researching the book, I had, I had, there, there are a bunch of mini mysteries that sort of came up and that were then solved. So for example, uh, I, I briefly mentioned the, the cases where there were uh, uh, animals that were allegedly found without any blood. And this is a common, common claim that you you find popping up in Facebook posts and, and, and news stories. And when I dug into it, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> most <laughs> of the, in virtually every case that I was able to track down, the blood loss was unconfirmed. Um, it was just, somebody said that there was a dead chicken and it didn't look like it had blood in it. Well, you can't tell by looking at something without <laughs> blood in it. That's, that's not how that works. If blood loss is a confirmable thing. You, you, need, you need to do necropsy. You need to have it examined. I mean, there, there are, there, you can't just poke, you can't just nudge something with your foot and say, well, yep, clearly not dropping blood in there. And that was what was going on over and over again. So as I was researching the, 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 the Chupacabra, there were these sort of, these sort of sub mysteries and one by one, eventually all of them got, got solved uh, to, to, to one degree or another, certainly to my satisfaction. And I think uh, readers as well, but the, the final mystery, the, the real linchpin to all this, the, the, the final thing that I couldn't quite nail down that was bugging me that I couldn't, I couldn't really say that I had solved the Chupacabra mystery until I'd actually got this final piece of the puzzle together was where did it come from? Right. I mean, I, I could tell that the Chupacabra didn't seem to have any 19, pre-1990s provenance, right? There was, as far as I can tell, and to this day, and I've had people confront me on this and they've never offered any, any explanation or evidence, but to this day, I have yet to have anybody come up to me and say, look, you know, you say the Chupacabra only began in 95. Well, here's a, here's a reference to a Chupacabra in 1972 or 84 or 1919, whatever else. No one has done that because there doesn't seem to be any pre-1990s uh, chupacabra. And now, that's, to, to be clear, that doesn't mean there weren't vampires because vampires are universal belief. But there was no vampire specifically claimed to have the characteristics of the chupacabra uh, and certainly not called the chupacabra uh, until the 1990s. Um, and so that was a big part of the, the final piece of the puzzle I was trying to piece together. Is like, where did this come from? Why... why why did the chupacabra appear in 95 and not 
1972 or, you know, 2005. And, um, and when, when I was in, so anyway, I, the, the, the original, uh, person, the very first, the very first person to ever see the Chupacabra was a woman named Madeline Tolentino. And she uh, lived in Canovanas, which is a suburb of San Juan, the capital of, of Puerto Rico. And hers was the original sighting, the very first sighting ever. And, um, and I had seen her name pop up, of course, in, in researching the Chupacabra. And uh, I had been able to uh, find her. And then um, I, I kept trying. And then actually, my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she got on Facebook and tracked down her ex-husband and, and made the connection for me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And so I, I flew to Puerto Rico, interviewed her in, in 2010. And I, apparently, I was the first person to talk to her after all that time. I mean, she her sighting soon after again in, in, in late 95, she was being quoted and making news and routes. And then basically she was forgotten about as the Chupacabra sort of <laughs> leapt off the Island. It was, it, it was, it was on the X-Files. It was, it went to, it was being reported in Nicaragua, in, in, in South America and Florida, Texas and so on. And so in some ways the Chupacabra story left Puerto Rico soon, soon thereafter. And she'd sort of been forgotten about and so I was able to track her down, interview her, and I, she was a very nice woman. I met her ex-husband, uh, her now ex-husband, uh, Jose, who was there with her. And we went to the original sighting, went to the original place where, you know, she was standing. I have a photograph of her standing literally where she saw the Chupacabra, and I, I interviewed her about her story and got photographs and was sort of doing a lot of the research there. And in the process of that, we began talking like, okay, well, what else was going on? And she had mentioned... Um, she'd mentioned uh, the, uh, being a, a film buff and being into science fiction horror and, and she very kindly invited me to her house and, and she just has a wall of, of science fiction horror films. She's just <laughs> huge science fiction, which is cool. I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, I love that stuff. Uh, and I had, um, in preparation for that, I had uh, researched a book uh, in, in, there's there's been very few uh, even somewhat scholarly books in the Chupacabra. Of course, there, there's mine. But before that, was a, there was a book titled Chupacabras and Other Mysteries by a, a man named Scott Corrales. And, um, and in that book, there's a, there's a, a chapter in which uh, some members of a Puerto Rican group, actually as, as a UFO group, and which is why the Chupacabra story has, has now been sort of combined with UFO lore. But they were interviewing her. And in that interview, she specifically mentions uh, the chupacabra looks a lot like uh, uh, the, the, the creature Sill, which was designed by H.R. Giger um, in the movie Species. And a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, that's really interesting. So I'm like, so the, she herself is saying that, the, she, again, she brought this up. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't nudging her toward that. I wasn't prompting her. Uh, this is an interview that that was done in 1996, long before I got involved in and talked to anybody. So this is this is she's talking to somebody else who's who's just asking about this, and she's explicitly offering this information, saying explicitly that the creature that she saw that later became the chupacabra looked virtually identical to this this movie monster, and I I realized that that wasn't a coincidence. It, it, it didn't just happen to be, wow, that's crazy. I'm like, no, there's, <laughs> there's a connection here. Uh, it, Cause it, that was the final piece of the puzzle. And so when I interviewed her in 2010, 
uh, I, I, I got the quotes from, from uh, Corrales' book, and I said, you know, you, you seem to be saying that this is a lot like the, the, you know, this movie monster. Uh, and she said, yeah, it absolutely was, and she made a couple of corrections. And that was sort of what brought, that was sort of what crystallized the mystery in my mind was it, it was the final piece of the puzzle because that's where the chupacabra came from. It came from the original eyewitness who had seen this, this science fiction film, a very popular one. Of course, there were a couple sequels, and I think Michael Madsen and Ben Kingsley and uh, Natasha Henstridge uh, was in there playing the, 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 the alluring female version of the, of the, of the species. Um, and as I talk about in the book, as it turns out, uh, their, their origin stories are parallel. Uh, if you if you if you watch the film, you know the the, the movie monster is both an alien um, and the result of a top secret to genetic experiment gone wrong that escapes, and th- that is exactly the 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 origin story that many people uh, ascribe to the chupacabra. It was a, an alien that came to Puerto Rico and was part of a genetic experiment that escaped yeah, actually in, in the, in the El Yunque rainforest and not, not far from where Tolentino lives. And so it was this sort of like, aha moment. Like, I, I think I, I think I have the final piece of the puzzle here. Yeah. And there's a lot of UFO sightings in that area as well. Right. Probably ascribed to the fact that there is a, a military base in the rainforest or it's somewhere nearby. Right. Yeah, well, you know, one of, that was one of the interesting things about about Puerto Rico is that the, there's a strong uh, group of people who are interested in UFOs. I mean, that, that's certainly not unique to Puerto Rico, but but certainly in in Puerto Rico there was uh, a group headed by a man named uh, Jorge Martin, um, and uh, Martin did. Uh, if you look at one of the earliest uh, drawings, the chupacabra, that was a that was a drawing that Martin did based on an interview with Tolentino. Uh, Tolentino later in my 2010 interview with her, she corrected some of his, not mistakes, but just, you know, he, he, he had sort of, he hadn't drawn it quite as she described it. And so I, I, I sort of redrew it based on, on, on her description and she agreed that mine was a bit more accurate, but yeah, this is exactly right is the, is, and that's the, one of the, one of the really fascinating aspects to this is when you dig deep into it and when you actually see where, where, how the story evolved, uh, you know, she, you know, Tolentino, what she saw was very clearly by her own mission, something that she had seen in the movie Species uh, a week or two earlier. And I, I went and double checked and I made sure that, that it actually was, you know, the, the timeline fits perfectly. That they had, had, been re, had been released, movie Species had been released and was showing in, in Puerto Rico time. Uh, but, but again, it, what one of the fascinating things to me as a folklorist and as a researcher was to see sort of see yeah, how did how was the chupacabra built literally right it was built on this one one woman's story and you know, keep in mind she didn't call it the chupacabra uh, the chupacabra was named a few weeks later um, actually I think about about uh, six weeks later by a a, a, a a radioed shock jockey who was making fun of it and who was making the news so he later called the chupacabra because it was like a cute funny phrase. Uh, and also, she didn't call it a vampire, right? She, she, she didn't say it sucked blood. There was no connection to, to you know. She didn't say she didn't say that she saw it attacking chickens or goats or sucking any blood. That the the, the vampiric aspect to it got attached to it later on. 
uh, as people started connecting her sighting to uh, to, uh, to animals that had been attacked, probably by by uh, stray dogs, as happens everywhere, normal predation, and also, by the way. Uh, by the UFO uh, buffs that interviewed her with the Puerto Rican research group. And so it's just interesting to sort of see how there's this kernel of what later turned out to be, you know, sort of a media inspired monster that then sort of it snowballed. It got bigger and bigger. And as different people latched onto her story and in some ways sort of promoted it on their own agenda, particularly the, the UFO groups, it later had these more and more aspects. Oh, it's also connected to aliens. No, it's also a vampire. It's also this, it's also that, which is one of the reasons why now 25 years later, the, the, the version that most people think of as a chupacabra has little or no connection to what was actually originally seen. It's very fascinating to, to basically see a myth where we can actually track down the origins so well because a lot of these other myths, like you look at Bigfoot and stuff like that, it's got roots in Native American legends. It's their stories from way, 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 way back. But if you look at something like the Chupacabra, the Loveland Frog, it, or even the Jersey Devil, right? Like you can pin down exactly the point where that myth started. And I think that that's rare and it gives us a kind of an opportunity to extrapolate to some of those other cryptids where they might have come from. Really Absolutely. No, you're exactly right. Um, and, you know, the examples you give are, are perfect. I mean, Brian's work on the Jersey Devil is exemplary. I mean, I, I, I think I even blurbed it. <laughs> I think my name's on this book somewhere. It's, it's a great book. And, but you're right. It, it's rare to be able to, to so precisely pinpoint um, the origin. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. I mean, this is a lot of yeah. work. Um, but as a folklorist, right? I mean, it, the, it's very rare as a folklorist to be able to track down a, a specific urban legend, right? Someone says, oh, the vanishing hitchhiker, you know, the, someone throws out a, a, an urban legend. And, when, and one, of, one of the questions that, that folklorists and urban legends experts hate is when someone comes and say, where did this start? And it's, it's like, a housewife in Detroit, 1975. I don't know. It's like, you can't, it, 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 I mean, we can trace back. We, we don't hate it. It's just sort of like the, the public thinks that, that it's just, Oh, you just track it down. Well, there you go. And usually, you know, there's versions, there's variants, there are stories that, you know, uh, that, you know, you, you can trace back legends and, and versions and rumors to different places and see how it's, how they're, how they're written about and discussed. But it's, 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 it's almost always impossible or, or it's always almost impossible to, to pinpoint an exact uh, origin. There, there is one recent exception, and that's Slenderman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the case of Slenderman, uh, folklorists, including a, a colleague, friend of mine, Andrea Kitta and others, uh, have tracked down. We know exactly. We, not only do we know who created Slenderman, we, we know the exact date and time. <laughs> that Slender Man was created because it was an online uh, forum on, on, you know, on, on, in the, uh, you know, copy pasta. And so, but one thing that makes the, the, these, these, these cases similar is that they're new, they're recent, right? Slender Man, uh, I don't have the exact date in front of me. I think it was like 10 years ago or something. Chupacabra was 25 years ago. Uh, and the, the reason that I was able to, to so definitively examine the roots of the Chupacabra was because I had a finite amount of data, right? I, I only had to go back to 1995 because 
there were no 1972 sightings of Chupacabra. There were no reports. And so unlike, for example, I, I don't think that I could ever really definitively write the book on Bigfoot. There's just too much. There's, there's sightings, there's, you know, there's, there's fakes, there's footprints, there's Bigfoot sounds, there's hoaxes. I mean, there's, it's, it's just too much. It would take me decades to write anything that I would feel would be sort of the, the final word on it. And of course, it's changing all the time with, their, with new stuff. And same with the Loch Ness Monster, right? It was stories of the Loch Ness Monster go back to the 1930s or older if you're including sort of, you know, these Catholic legends. Um, but in the case of Chupacabra, it was a, it was a, a it was a niche enough, small enough mystery with, with a finite enough data set that there were only so many sightings. There were only so many people that had actually dug into it, and mostly tabloids originally. Um, and so that was a huge benefit to me in terms of not having to, you know, sort through, you know, thousands of of of, of peripherally related sightings and reports and theories and blah 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 because it was such a specific uh, creature. Yeah, it's like, that's a, you know, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Like I, I imagine it was probably a, a ton of work, even if it is like a finite time period, like to, to track all that down and to be able to narrow it down that much. That's, that's awesome. It was, it was really fun to read through and just be like, wow, I had no idea. Cause I had like a peripheral knowledge of the Chupacabra from stories online and things like that. I was like, all right, this will be a fun one to dig into. And then we looked at it. We're like, wow, no, this guy really just pinned it down. Like, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It, it was a lot of work. Um, and you know, I've had people come up to me and sort of, you know, sort of like, why did you do that? I was like, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I spent, like I said, I spent years on it. Uh, I traveled to Puerto Rico. I interviewed people. I, I traveled to, uh, to Central America. I spent a week in the jungle. I talked about that in chapter three. Um, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I interviewed uh, eyewitnesses and corresponded and talked to uh, Phyllis Canyon who had a, a dead coyote in her freezer. Um, and just, you know, there's so many angles, right? Folklore and forensics and all these sorts of things. Um, and it was, it was a ton of work. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't solve it because I'm the smartest guy in the room. I solved it because I put in the time. Um, and unlike most of the previous researchers and frankly, most researchers in cryptozoology and, 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 you know, the unexplained field in general, it was important to me to do due diligence and to separate out the clear bullshit from the verifiable. And once you do that, once you take the time and the effort to sort of hash out, okay, well, this is clearly bogus. This is probably bogus. And this is probably true. Then you have a guide, right? You, you have, you have a path towards uh, trying to pull it all together. And so, you know, it's, um, it's, I'm glad I put in the time. It's, it's, it's cool. It's neat. Um, I'm, I'm proud to have been the person that's finally pieced it together. Um, you know, in my obituary, I'll be, they'll mention chupacabras and evil clowns because I've done books <laughs> on both of them. So I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but you know, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Oh my God. I, like I, I we're going to have to talk to you again. Cause I have, so many questions about the bad clowns book and some of the other mysteries that you've looked at. Cause honestly your, your Wikipedia page looks like a, uh, almost like an episode list for Scooby-Doo. Uh, <laughs> like they're, they're, I will take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're amazing. Like looking into these, I'm like, Holy crap. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's some of them just sound like episode titles. So I, yeah, I'd love to talk to you more about those uh, at some point in the future. Anytime. But, absolutely. Heck yeah. And one more question uh, about the Chupacabra. Uh, before we, before we, uh, you know, let let it let it lie. What do you think keeps people 
citing such an obviously bullshit creature well into just the modern age. Like why, why do you think that people keep bringing back dead dogs with mange and things like that and trying to perpetuate this myth? Well, you know, that that's a really good question. And it's, a, it's an apropos one on, again, on the 25th anniversary, sort of <laughs> take a yeah. sanguine look back and say, oh, all right, you little rascal. Why, why are people still talking about you? Right. There's a couple of reasons. One is that it's, um, it's, it's such an intriguing monster, right? It's probably the second best known, second best known after Bigfoot or, or Nessie. I mean, it's just this widely known creature. Uh, so there already, there's already this base of people that are, that are, you know, that are talking about and, and out there. And part of the answer is that, uh, that of course it's, even though it's for people who have looked into it and read up on it, um, I modestly suggest <laughs> including my book, it's, it's kind of a solved case, right? It's that I don't, I'm not saying I've solved every aspect of it. And if, if I got something wrong in the book, feel free to challenge me on it and I'll be happy to listen to you and, and look at your evidence. But it's, it's in my, in my mind, it's more or less case closed. Um, but that doesn't detract from it being an interesting mystery, right? Because we can look into, well, why did people believe this, right? What about all the dead animals? What about this? What about that? What about the vampire aspects? And so it's interesting either way. Um, and another part of it, of course, is that uh, cable TV recycles these things, right? And so uh, I'll, give, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, last year, I was on uh, I was on the Josh Gates show, uh, Expedition Unknown. So um, a producer from Gates' show called me up and said, yeah, we want, we're in Puerto Rico. We want to do an episode on Chupacabra. Did some research. Apparently, you wrote the book. Do you want to come down? And I'm like, sure. I'll fly yeah. me down to Puerto Rico for a week. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And so... Um, and to their credit, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good skeptical science-based episode, um, partly because the producer read my book, but <laughs> it, it was, it was cool meeting Josh and this and that. And, and so, uh, so, you know, that's, that's part of the reason is that even though that was sort of a debunking episode as it, as it should have been, um, you know, it, 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 the story keeps coming up. Right. And so there's always reruns, um, and, and uh, other shows. And so for example, just, uh, um, just uh, about a month ago, I saw uh, an episode. I'm, I won't. I won't name the show, but also, also an episode that had William Shatner hosting it. <laughs> anyway, um, that mentioned the chupacabra, and that's fine. Uh, they didn't interview me, and I, I soon realized why they didn't <laughs> because they didn't want to hear from me. They 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 interviewed Phyllis Canyon, who I who I devote a chapter into the book, and she talks about uh, all these things and this and that, and and. It, it, it was just a totally mystery monger episode. And again, I get it. You know, it's sensational. It's fun. Interesting. You know, do the dramatic voiceover. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I don't, you know, people can either interview me or not about it. I don't really care. I'm not getting my feelings hurt, but it, when I was watching it, it was just frustrating to see questions being asked that were answered 10 years ago. Um, if they wanted to know the answers. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it depends on what kind of television you want to make. Like you said, there's all those shows like Ghost Hunters out there that, you know, they, they, they profit on the idea of it being unexplained. So they don't want to get into the, the obvious uh, debunkable answers, unfortunately. Right, yeah. Whereas, you know, honestly, half the time that's more interesting anyway. It, it really is. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, it genuinely is the case. I mean, in most of these, these things I spend my time on, um, the, the journey is really 
as interesting, if not more interesting than the, the headlines and, and the, you know, whether it's true or not, you just you, the, the, the investigative process and looking at all the aspects and this and that and the other, oftentimes, you know, the reading about uh, and, and understanding how the mystery evolved and came to be is, is just as interesting, if not more interesting than whatever, whatever, you know, sketchy bogus uh, claim that resulted from it. Well, I, I want to say, uh, you know, thanks for all the research you've done. Thanks for coming on to talk to us. Uh, what are you working on right now and where can people find you? Well, again, thanks for having me on. This is this has been awesome. I'm happy to do it any time. Um, I uh, just recently finished a book, uh, not 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 a weird thing related. Uh, I'm trying to get it uh, out there to publishers. Uh, the The subject is the fear, uh, the the role of fear in America, uh, and, and it's sort of a follow up to a media literacy book I wrote in 2003 called Media Mythmakers, and it's sort of talking about how how a lot of uh, a lot of the things that people are afraid of and talk about in in, in social media and elsewhere are often boogeymen. They're sort of these straw men arguments that that are generating fear uh, among the public uh, unnecessarily. Um, people can find me in Skeptical Inquiry magazine. I have a column there. Uh, in the next issue, for example, uh, I have a in depth investigation into the Chase Vault mystery, which are uh, these. Um, these coffins uh, in Barbados that were allegedly sealed up and that were when it was, when the, when the uh, vault was reopened on several occasions, the coffins had moved and it was impossible and this and that. And so I actually visited Barbados and did an investigation there and, and I think did a pretty good uh, investigation to that. Uh, I'm also the uh, co uh, co-founder and co-host of a podcast called squaring the strange along with uh, two friends of mine, uh, Celestia Ward and Pasquale Romero. And we come out every two weeks, uh, and you can find us on iTunes and Libsyn elsewhere, Squaring the Strange. Uh, we have, we just completed our, actually, we just had our third anniversary, so that's kind of cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, just <laughs> plugging away on Solving Mysteries. And, uh, uh, unfortunately, at the moment, most of my time recently has been um, taken up on uh, debunking misinformation about COVID-19. Oh yeah, and, uh, that's, a, that's a business. <laughs> it, it's a business. And so, yeah, that's, that's been sort of keeping me, uh, keeping me very busy the last uh, month, six weeks is, uh, is, uh, is trying to sort of put uh, people's misinformation and fears uh, into perspective. So that's, that's what's gotten me, uh, that's what I'm doing these days. And hopefully all this will be over uh, fairly soon without too much damage and we can sort of uh, uh, come together. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I had a lot of fun recording this one. It's definitely one of my favorite interviews I've done. I'm not sure what cryptid we're going to do next, but if you have suggestions, feel free to tweet at me at RealMacAshton. Uh, go to our Instagram at CryptidsDecrypted, which John has now created and is running. Uh, or, you know, shoot us an email at CryptidsDecrypted at gmail.com. Also, if you're looking for ways to support the show, uh, the best way is word of mouth, just sharing it around. Also, uh, I do write books, uh, cryptid fiction on the side. They're stories about a drunken monster hunter going after various creatures that aren't supposed to exist. I think they're a lot of fun. We've got some pretty positive reviews. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go ahead and look up my Amazon page. If you just search Ashton McCauley on Amazon, all of my books will show up. Uh, there's two out right now. We have a third coming hopefully later this year, depending on how this whole uh, situation that we all find ourselves in wraps up. But anyways... 
Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll be back in probably about two weeks.